You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. And this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. All right. A lot to talk about on this Monday. Host prerogative, Hoya prerogative. We got to start with Georgetown. Patrick Ewing (laughs) delivering the chip in Madison Square Garden. And man, what a ride. They were picked last in the conference, guys. This is the first time this has ever happened. Preseason, dead last. They walk out champions from Madison Square Garden, and they're in the NCAA tournament. First time with Coach Ewing at the top of the table there and leading this team in a very familiar place. But I got to take us back to earlier in the tournament. I obviously have been watching this very keenly. And uh, I think the word is disrespect is what uh, (laughs) Coach Patrick Ewing felt. Check out what he had to say at one of his early press conferences. I thought this was my building. And I feel terrible that I'm getting stopped, accosted, asking for passes. Everybody in this building should know who the hell I am. And I'm getting stopped. I can't move around this building. Like I, I was like, what the hell? Is this Madison Square Garden? I'm going to have to call Mr. Dolan and say, geez, is my number in the rafters or what? Yeah. That's Coach Ewing. His number is in the rafters, uh, by the way, of course. Legendary New York Nick, uh, a reference to the owner, uh, the often maligned owner of the New York Knicks, Mr. Dolan. Uh, so, Lynchy, stepping back from that, you sort of hear, you know, maybe a little bit of the fire that was in the belly of Coach Ewing and the Hoyas. No one expected him to be there, that's for sure. But, but here they are. It was a great story. You know, I actually thought I'd have the morning off because Georgetown, I knew you'd be all over this being a Georgetown (laughs) alum, and Michael Barr is going to be throwing Michigan as a number one seed in my face. So I'm actually honored that you guys actually let me (laughs) have a a word or two in here today since the Ivy League decided not to participate. I really don't have any team to talk about here. But this is the Patrick Ewing that I saw at Cambridge Ridge and Latin High School, that we all saw playing at Georgetown, that we all saw playing for the New York Knicks. And I couldn't be happier for him. Uh, you know, when they knocked off Villanova, I said, you got to be kidding me. I said, okay, you know, nice little great moment for them. And they'll probably lose as a Seton Hall. And boom, they run the table. And that fire and that passion. And and, and I love the connection, though, he still has with John Thompson and, yep. uh, and, and Mary, both both looking down on him, doing a jig right now mm-hmm. uh, somewhere up, up in heaven. And um, couldn't be happier for him. And I couldn't be happier for you, Jason, because you get to really just strut your stuff for – at least five days around. At least, exactly. At least, <laughs> you had, at least early into the tournament. Um, so I'm glad you. I'm glad you mentioned Coach Thompson. Bar, I want to ask you about this on on the other side. But let's listen uh, to what Coach Ewing had to say about the late great John Thompson. It was ironic that 40 plus years ago, Coach Thompson was hired at Georgetown, and it was on this day that he was hired. And you know, today we won the Big East championship. They had us rank last, you know, and I keep talking about that Drake song. Started from the bottom, now we're here. We started at the bottom, now we're number one. Number one, indeed, in the Big East. And Michael Barr, the Coach Thompson through line here is a really, really important one and and cannot be underestimated. Oh, yeah. We were talking, uh, we did an interview uh, several weeks back where we talked about the book that was out on, uh, on, on the coach and just some of the stories about him. Just a, a down-to-earth guy uh, who realized every day that it, 
you have to set an example. And that's what he did. And it has carried on. And now uh, it is Patrick Ewing uh, is taking on that uh, that mantle. And uh, it shows. And, and here you guys are in the uh, – you won the Big East and you're uh, in the big dance. And so, Lynchy, I think it's worth noting, especially because we're all obviously big sports fans, but this is the business of sports. I mean, these two guys in many ways – First, Coach Thompson with Patrick Ewing, of course, winning that 1984 national championship. But then on to the rest of their individual careers with Coach Thompson continuing to coach Georgetown for another two decades plus after that, almost three decades. Then you have Patrick Ewing going to the league. These guys changed the business of college basketball in the 80s. And then Patrick Ewing really changed the business of the NBA. When you think about the iconic players, the players who pushed the NBA really into the zeitgeist of the business world, especially, you got to go back to Ewing, the Knicks, and and he's just continuing on in many ways. I, I look at the television contracts yeah. that uh, just that took off when those two guys may, uh, put their stamp on college basketball. Uh, the the big uh, remember Big Monday and yep. Big Wednesday the big contract that the Big East had and then C- the CBS uh, took over the uh, uh, the uh, the Big East tournament in Madison Square Garden uh, when Ewing was with the Knicks the MSG network uh, subscriptions just exploded and that that's you know the financial impact they had on college basketball and pro basketball along parallel careers uh, really and of course doing it in two major cities Washington D.C. and New York City. Um, really changed the face of, of, of college basketball. Before that, it was kind of regional. You had UCLA out west, you had North Carolina down in the south, and then they just took this Big East to a new level and made that to be, that the toughest conference in, in, in college basketball. Well, and I'm glad you brought up the Big East in part because, you know, we have this now reconstituted Big East, which I have to say, you know, now finally, finally, and I think uh, Commissioner Val Ackerman, who's been a guest on this show, would would echo this, although I'm sure she's would be a little more positive than I am about this. But, you know, the Big East has languished a little bit, you know, after losing Syracuse. You know, they essentially put all their chips onto basketball and let the football-centric schools go by the wayside. They brought in the, the Creightons and the Butlers of the world to really form this basketball conference. But in order to get the big money, in order to really attract the attention, Michael Barr, you got to win. And so having a Georgetown resurgent with an iconic coach like Coach Ewing, that's good for business. And you have to imagine, and I was talking to my brother who also went to Georgetown about this last night as we were reliving the the, uh, the weekend, you know, next year's Madison Square Garden-centric Big East tournament, it's going to be even more exciting because Georgetown, Villanova, mm-hmm. you know, really back in action. And I think that that is, a, that is a true business story in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. Just getting to the big dance, right. that's big business for any of these colleges. And if you want the opposite, you know who we're not talking about? Duke or yeah. Louisville. Because, right. in fact, they've said no thanks even going to the NIT. Right. So we are in the middle of right now uh, going through what's happening for Georgetown. Uh, it, it really is special. And you have a, a superstar coach who's there, right. and, and he's bringing a big name in business to it. 
Yeah, I think that's right. And so I think the the economics of this will continue to be interesting and something that we'll watch. We'll also be watching closely, obviously, throughout the next couple of weeks. We'll talk about it a lot on this show. This uh, kind of different NCAA tournament, all going to be in Indianapolis. You know, fingers crossed and uh, and all hopes that they can all follow the protocols. You are going to have a lot of different teams from a lot of different places all descending a lot of protocols in place to to hopefully keep everybody safe because we really want and uh, and I feel like to some extent need a tournament. Um, let's move on to the NFL because we got somebody stepping back and somebody stepping up. Let's start with the stepping back, the retirement of Drew Brees. And, you know, Drew Brees, well-known for many different things, a scrappy guy across two decades. But let's take a listen to how he announced his retirement. After 15 years in the Saints and 20 years in the NFL, our dad is finally going to retire. So we can spend more time with us. Yay! <laughs> those are Drew Brees' four kids <laughs> announcing via the internet and Instagram and all those great social platforms that their dad is going to be stepping down. You know, Lynchy, I feel like of the three of us, you probably saw him more up close and personal throughout the course of, of your career and his career. What do you make of Drew Brees and his impact on the NFL? Well, I keep thinking back when they won that Super Bowl after Hurricane Katrina. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he was uh, – there was just – devastating for the people of New Orleans and the only hope they had something they could cling to once a week was the football team and the football team made a connection and the face of that franchise let's face it has been Drew Brees to me that's that was the uh, the, the, the biggest thing I remember about his career yes just an all-time leader in total yardage and all kinds of stats but for me and then when he won the Super Bowl, that iconic image of the headphones on his uh, on his little son there, yeah. um, when mm-hmm. the, the confetti was was raining down, yeah. <laughs> that's what I'll think of of Drew Brees. I also think of him pasting the Patriots on a Monday night game one night when I went down there, and uh, <laughs> his um his 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 uh, offensive coordinator uh, Pete Carmichael, who does not call the plays, but he still is the offensive coordinator, is a is a local guy here from Boston. And he just uh, he just raves about him. He just said, this guy is another coach on the field. Uh, he's welcoming to every new rookie that comes in. He walks over and introduces himself. Hi, I'm Drew Brees. Hi, Jason. Yeah. I'm Michael, welcome to the New Orleans Saints. Not many guys do that. They make you sort of earn your, earn your stripes when you come in. And that's the difference between Drew uh, as a, a professional and personally as well uh, and the impact he made. Well, we certainly talk about iconic uh business people, iconic athletes. Uh, Drew Brees was both in many ways. And and Barr, you know, it's interesting that Lynchy brings up his deep, deep association really, you know, with the culture, the economy in many ways of New Orleans, you know, that the devastation of Hurricane Katrina, I covered it for Bloomberg. I mean, it is it is hard to describe. And, you know, so many things have happened in the intervening uh, 15 years or so. But, uh he really was associated with the rebirth in many ways and brought people back uh, to New Orleans. And uh, they are not going to see the likes of him, I think, for, for a long time there uh, in that city. Putting aside the the effects of the hurricane, because we all remember that and it was just horrible, I, just on the team itself, the Saints, remember, they were floundering. They, yeah. they didn't have much going. And all of a sudden, here comes Drew Brees, and uh, he's coming in on the horse, man. And, and all of a sudden, it all came together. And it was, I always thought in sports, that was the feel-good story of the year. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, 
it is amazing to think about what he accomplished. I will say from a personal perspective, uh, my older son, who's now 18, for a decade plus was just a huge Saints fan and a Breeze fan. And I remember, you know, one of my best, best memories as a dad is taking him um, and our other kids to a game at the Superdome. And I will tell a little bit of a story on him, with which both of you will appreciate as big sports fans that we went. Uh, it was the year after they, you know, got nailed by the NFL. And so they had players suspended and all these different things. It was a tough season. They lost, uh, interestingly enough, given what we're about to uh, talk about in a minute, to the Panthers, the Cam Newton-led Panthers there uh, in the Superdome. And so they lose the game, the Saints do. We walk out of the Superdome, you know, a little disappointed. And we say, all right, well, you know, we're going to go, like, let's go hang out in the French Quarter, do whatever. And uh, my son Will says, no, I, I, how can how can you celebrate? They just lost. I'm going back to the hotel. <laughs> his poor little shoulders, you know, wearing his number nine jersey, were slumped over. And so he and my wife went back to the hotel, and he just needed some alone time after, uh, you know, watching his hero, uh, you know, falter, falter on the field. So that's the sort of devotion that Drew Brees uh, inspired, even from uh, a little kid living in New York. So uh, our best to Drew Brees. I mean, he also is, is one of these guys who you think about his post-playing career – He's been an incredibly successful spokesman for a number of things. He owns some Jimmy John's franchises, some Duncan franchises, uh, close to your heart, uh, Lynchy. So we'll see what uh, he does next. <laughs> Meanwhile, speaking of Cam Newton, uh, coming back to the Pats. What? What? Uh, Lynchy, what's going on up oh there? Oh, my goodness. I heard screaming out windows. I heard <laughs> car brakes screeching on highways. It was. It happened early last week, early in the morning. And this just sent this city into a tizzy because I think everybody was applauded that he tried really hard last year, but his playing days are over. And then we get an announcement that he signed a one-year $14 million deal to come back to the Patriots. Now, I know this is the business of sports, so don't get – that's kind of a little bit misleading. Only $3.5 million of that is guaranteed. It's a yeah. $2 million signing bonus, a million and a half in salary. <clears throat> and as the more we're studying this thing – it's basically somebody sitting in the chair because the Patriots have like about $66 million under the cap to spend in free agency when it starts in about 48 hours. And when they're going in trying to court tight ends and wide receivers, they just want to say, well, we get somebody in the seat. It's Cam Newton. Yeah. And they may say, rather than having Cam Newton in the seat for $3.5 million guaranteed is better than having an empty seat at quarterback at this particular point. I'm not 100% convinced that Cam Newton is going to be the starting quarterback yeah. come, come September. I'm not sure he would even be on the roster come September. Uh, it could be Marcus Mariota. It could be someone like Mac Jones out of Alabama. But right now they've got somebody there, a veteran there, to try to lure somebody like a Juju Smith-Schuster or a Corey Davis or a Hunter Henry or somebody like that because they need help. And everyone thinks that this is going to be the Belichick revenge tour this uh, this spring, starting uh, on St. Patrick's Day, that he's going to go out and spend, he's going to rebuild this team, and he's going to become a contender again. Well, they, you know, Cam Newton apparently doesn't call him Dollar B for nothing, right? I mean, he has <laughs> he has been a fairly savvy investor and uh, identifier of talent over the years. I mean, Michael Barr, it's interesting too the way Lynchy frames it. It makes me think about you know this. It's sort of an option in some ways. He's they they've just sort of put some money down, be like, all right, we got this guy, and, and we can sort of put invest a little more, but better than as Lynchy says an empty seat at a time when 
we've talked a lot about this on the show, just the quarterback carousel going on. You just don't know who's going to pop up in, in various markets. A lot of it has been settled, but as Lynchy says, the draft, I think, is going to change a lot of the economics and the and the landscape of the NFL coming up. Oh, well, speaking of the carousel of quarterbacks, and we were just talking about Drew Brees, and then there was something else that I heard that I almost drove off the road, and that's with Taysom Hill. Yeah. The Saints offered him now I got to explain this. They offered him a 140 million dollar four-year contract extension, but it's entirely voiding. Now usually it that usually means entirely meaningless, but in this case I wonder what that sets up for the Saints and this merry-go-round on on who's going to land at what team. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, more intrigue on the quarterback front. Uh, that's for sure. And, you know, Lynchy, I know that there's a lot of gnashing of teeth, as you said, uh, up there in uh, in the Massachusetts and the general New England area. But, um, you know, hard to, hard to bet against Belichick ever, anytime, at all. Any he's moment. just sitting back. He's he's loving the fact that everyone's saying he's lost it. He can't win without Tom Brady. Uh, he made a mistake with Cam Newton. He the more that people stack themselves up against the Patriots, the more motivated he and his team becomes. And I know that he is just sitting and brooding this this winter. And he is going to start ripping on. I mean, the minute this free agency opens on March seventeenth, yeah, I bet the Patriots mm-hmm. will be the first team to sign a big name player. They are yeah. going to they 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 are. Because they're slipping down in their division now. They're, you know, Buffalo is the team to beat in the division, and Miami is a better team than they are right now. And that doesn't yeah. sit well with him. Well, and as far as criticism, I mean, whatever people are saying, you know, whatever the the, the lynchies and whatnots of the Boston area are saying about him, <laughs> he, he barely looks up from, you know, cutting the sleeves off of his sweatshirts, you know, when he hears all of that. <laughs> he just gets back to it. I, I got to tell you something real quick before we wrap this up. Last week, when this news came, and just before we were in another taping, Lynchy and I were talking, and Lynchy said, you know, I took the over and under. Who was going to start yelling first about Cam Newton? I had you at 10 seconds, Bar. Uh, <laughs> I said it at four. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You I, I, I was like, what? <laughs> Listen, I'm, I'm happy for him. He, he, get, I'm a firm believer. Get the money while you can. Yeah. Do it. You know, it's... I'm I'm all for it, but I got to see how this plan goes. So I will never bet against Bill Belichick. I'll tell you that. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. I'm Michael Barr, along with Mike Lynch and Jason Kelly. And we're here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday exploring the world of money and sports. Join us throughout the week. We're going to have a lot of exciting guests to talk about the NCAA and so much more in the world of sports. In the meantime, I'm Jason Kelly. Follow me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch without a team in the NCAA tournament, and you can follow me at LynchyWCVB. Oh, that's too bad. Oh, I got Michigan number one. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, bragging at Big Bar Sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world. Don't disappoint me, Juwan, and online wherever you get your podcasts.